Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. So I'm joined today by two of SEC's nutritionists. I'm joined by uh, Lorna Shaw and Karen Stewart. Um, so Karen, you've been on these podcasts a wee bit in the past, but Lorna, this is your first one. So a big welcome to Stock Talk. Um, do you want to give us a wee introduction to yourself, Lorna? Hi, Robert. Um, yes, I'm Lorna Shaw. I'm a beef and sheep nutritionist with SEC. Um kind of working out the Perth office but I'm from a mixed arable beef and sheep farm in the borders so quite familiar with the whole of the east <laughs> quite um quite well but um yeah covering the whole of Scotland within the livestock team at the moment and yeah loving every minute of it. Excellent and what was your you've got a very practical past as well what, what were you doing before you came to us? Um yep yeah. So I uh, studied agriculture at SEC um, and then went into the, well, after a wee bit of travelling, went into the ruminant feed industry. So I worked with Vitamin and Mineral Premixer for a wee while um, down south in Ashbourne, Derbyshire. Um, and then after that, I got the opportunity to come back to Scotland where I worked with a commercial feed company for a couple of years. Um, that really really drove my passion for the more kind of practical side of nutrition and speaking to farmers and getting best results from them which kind of took me here to consultancy via a master's degree in ruminant nutrition so yeah all about beef and sheep really yeah good and well qualified and uh, i'm sure we'll get into some good stuff later on as well so and karen you're here as well so we better introduce you or you can introduce yourself as well again yeah, yeah, I'm uh, Karen Stewart, so I work alongside Lorna in the livestock team. Um, I've been SEC for 10 years, a wee bit of time off and back again for a wee while. Um, and uh, yeah, mainly really enjoy the suckler cow aspect of things and just solving problems, helping farmers, um, making a difference. That's uh, my background. I work in the forefront office. That's where I'm yeah. Excellent, excellent. So what's keeping you guys busy at the moment? We're in the very end of May. Um, so what what's life like as a nutritionist at the end of May? Um, yeah, so it's fairly fairly busy at the moment. Um, this is the time of year where we're kind of dealing with any issues that may have arose on farms after calving or lambing. So having a look at those, trying to find solutions to see if we can avoid those for the next season. Um, and then quite a lot of project work at this time of year as well. So we've got a few projects on looking at kind of lamb lamb intakes at the moment and replacement use and yep just quite a lot of yeah a lot of project work at the moment for me anyway so it's the kind of bit I suppose it's the fire prevention rather than firefighting isn't it it's the how do we make next year better how do we how do we get a better performance or or make things better I really enjoy the bit post lambing and calving where you've got that in fact, this maybe even happens in the middle of lambing and calving when you start looking at a few problems, thinking how do we solve that for next year. But at this point, I think there's a, a good breathing space to take a step back and you know have, have a look at what we can do better. Karen, what what are you finding from the suckler aspect? Of, have calvings been across the board reasonably good this year? Are people fairly happy? 
Yeah, I think folk are, are fairly happy. I mean, you've got all the usual calving problems. And I think, you know, no matter how good a farmer you are, you always are going to have a year where you, you have issues and things. So I think generally speaking, um, things have been good. I think that this, the spring um, was pretty cold and... Um, grass took a long time to come and I think cows were maybe out in that time as well so I think that gave people a lot of cause for concern but as soon as the hot weather comes and the grass grows everyone forgets about that pretty quickly but it's it's uh, hopefully that'll not have any long-lasting effects um I think we're seeing um silage getting cut sort of this week's amazing um, uh, weather so I think silage is going to be going a lot of places um and uh, just trying to play catch up really yeah it's I think it's remarkable actually how through IAX and through you know talking to a lot of farmers and what we were feeling at home it felt like a late spring and somehow everything that we were going to do has been done quite early you know there's a lot of good early silage done there's a lot of lamb and calf growth's been good there's cows bulling there's you know the season's actually not as advanced as we as we thought or, or as, as late as we thought so it's a <laughs> It did feel like the never-ending winter, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's come right. <laughs> so. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen as we've got New Mill's show, uh, The Greatest Show on Earth, is on Saturday, and it's I've seen us feeding silage at grass up till the beginning of June. I think we've done it twice. And, you know, we've been we've not been feeding silage for about a month now. You know, we, in the West, anyway, things have been going fairly well but sometimes it takes a wee step back to realize it's going going fairly well um so lorna silage wise what's our advice we're always telling are always advising people to get make the best quality silage they can now obviously the guys who've gone in middle of may are you know the our dairy guys through here will have had as as good a start to the spring as they've ever had you know pits are full of really good quality of what we assume will be really good quality first cut but what about those beef and sheep guys who are you know maybe grazed a wee bit longer or a grass is a wee bit slower to come what what's the advice to to them what does good quality silage actually mean so i think for beef and sheep farms um the first thing they really need to think about is what class of stock are they making their silage for so, you know, are they are they looking for like a really, really top quality silage to feed to sheep pre-lambing and they're trying to reduce concentrate as much as possible? So you're looking for quite a high energy, something kind of 11 and a half, 12 ME if possible, with a nice high protein to try and limit concentrate feed. Or are they on the other end of the spectrum and they're trying to feed spring calving dry cows in winter and are looking for kind of more of a belly filler, a bit lower in energy, lower in protein? So it's really about, you know, thinking about what class of stock they first want that silage to feed and trying to get the cut right for that class of stock. So if you are looking at your kind of sheep or, or you get like beef young stock, you want to be trying to take an earlier cut, get that kind of good high energy leafy silage, still quite a lot of protein in there to try and limit your concentrate use as possible. But yeah, for those, for the dry cows, you probably want to take more of a mature, bulkier cut to try and reduce reduce the need to dampen it down as well. If you've got if you've got too good a cut for dry cows, you're trying to look for another forage such as straw, or trying to restrict feed, and it's it's hard to to control that diet when it comes to winter, as well. So yeah, I think that's the first thing to think about is what you're feeding the stock, uh, what you're feeding the silage to, um, and then also the other thing is how much silage do you need to get you through winter, as well. Almost yeah. sit down and 
you know, budget? Like, how many mouths have you got to feed and how much silage are you needing to get in to that pit or bale to see you through the winter as well? And quite often, so definitely the getting through the winter has to be the priority. You know, if, if we run out of silage in February, buying buying silage is a stinking dear hobby to have. Um, but what's the what's the impact do you go are you better to go with two early cuts or one big single cut so if, if we're if we're likely to be scarce of forage are two are two cuts better than one um i'll let karen answer this one too but i think it depends how good if you kind of get one really good quality first cut and you've got that good like sheep young stock silage in there you could probably afford to go for maybe a wee bit more of a bulky second cut and get that in but you need to make sure two small cuts would probably probably equal that one bulky cut but that bulky cut you'll lose quality as well so it's yeah again thinking about what stock you're feeding it to and and i suppose you know it's a, it's a hard question it's a and the, the challenge again is most farms have more than one class of stock as well so it's it would be easy if we were only running finishing cattle it's not that easy but it would be easier if we're only mm-hmm. only running finishing cattle or breeding ewes or something if, but when we've got those multiple enterprises there's a there's a bit of a conflict in there um, Karen have you any thoughts yeah I think it depends as well on the scope of the farm because um if you know it depends what area you're in as well so like up, up the glens and stuff that'd be um maybe only one cut is is feasible um, and then you know it depends on how much nutrients you're going to have to put back in to get that good second cut so um, and the cost of that as well if you're running two cuts as well the cost of of taking two cuts um, so I think it really depends on the situation of the farm as well and as you said what what classes of stock you've got but it's certainly I mean good silage is you know well proven that it's um uh, reduces concentrate usage in young stock and cattle and in in pregnant ewes um, it's, a, it's a no-brainer for them, really. So even if you could, if you work out for what you're needing for pregnant ewes and, and do a small amount of good quality silage, um, as Lorna was saying, a bit of planning goes a long way. Yeah. Can we do a wee bit um, rationing on the hoof here? No pressure, and the, the answers <laughs> will not be correct. But see if we've got a 10 me silage, and you're given... So what, what would we need to give to get a kilo of live weight gain on a store? If we've got a ten me silage, uh, well, if we work out, say it's four fifty store, it's going to be fifty five megajoules for maintenance, and then forty five for a kilo, so a hundred megajoules, so ten kilos of. Yeah, they're not going to eat that, are they? So yeah, they're probably going to need no. three kilos of concentrates, and then on an 11, 11 and a half me, maybe one kilo, so maybe saving a couple of kilos ahead. I'm guessing about. <laughs> Yeah. But, no, that, that's good. And do you agree with that, Lorna? <laughs> I don't know if that's. Yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> Tell us she's wrong, Lorna. <laughs> it's a, no, the it's fag packet calculations, but it's important to have a. Th- you know, why are we trying to make this earlier, better quality stuff? And it's quite obvious. If you can save two kilos a day, yeah, fourteen kilos a week, you know, it multiplies it into. Yeah. quite a lot of money and and the point we're at now you know we're talking about regenerative agriculture all the time and talking about you know making use of your farm resources and things and and i think the days of there's always going to be a need for off-farm inputs for buying a quality proteins and quality feed elsewhere but i think making the most of what we can produce at home yeah has to be the priority and, and if we can see that gain you then have the choice i suppose is do you want 
a kilo of live weight gain for less input or do you want the same amount of input to give you more um, mm-hmm. or, or you split the difference and um, and get a bit, a bit more but I don't think uh, hopefully no one holds you entirely to that ration I would always <laughs> no, that was very much good independent advice <laughs> yeah. um, although it depends on the uh, you know where they have you know silage bales stored as or you know or pits and things as well and where the cattle are for the winter because a lot of people maybe just feed you know what's at that farm if you know what I mean so maybe having a wee bit more thought on you know where silage is stacked where it's stored you know and, and what you do with that silage once you've cut it once it's been made good silage you know if you don't analyze it and don't measure it then you can't really you know it's not it's not going to affect your outputs you know if you're still going to feed the like we've always done um you know you've got to use it uh, and uh, and take those concentrates down there's no point in feeding good silage and keeping the concentrates the same yeah yeah i think to add to that it's always worth kind of you know if you're you're storing silage bales like label them know where they've came from as well so you can assess those fields that are performing better or assess the field that you've brought in for that early first cut and you've not got it hidden away at the back and you can't get access to it when you need it at the time. So it's worth always labelling bales or, or knowing in the stack where everything is to get your analysis as accurate as possible as well. I have a client down here who um, had calculated or had roughly, again, worked out how much time he spent through the winter hauling silage back out. So he outwinters a lot of uh, both suckler cows and young stock as well. And he now stacks he's got multiple stacks all over the farm and that way you run out with tractor and a or on in a lot of cases he runs out with bike and bale trailer and a the time that he's saving just by stacking them he's actually doing less work in the summer and less less work in the winter by having a wee think about where they stack them and probably we're all guilty of that is hauling them back to a great big mountain of bales in the steading and then hauling them back out through through the winter but i suppose it's also about making sure that that stack of bales is you know is it made and stacked in the right place <laughs> you can land it we could tie ourselves in knots with it um but yeah it's in, all interesting stuff um what about additives lorna do we do we bother with an additive the sun's splitting the trees at the moment are we is the sun the best additive we can get or is it worth firing something on as well um, I mean, I think at the moment we've got really good conditions for silage. So an additive, depending on your circumstances, maybe maybe not needed right at the moment. But additives always can add that kind of insurance policy. So the main idea for an additive is to speed up the time that fermentation takes. And if you get a really quick fermentation, you're reducing the chance for those like undesirable microbes to proliferate. And those are the microbes that will stay dormant until that silage pit's opened and they get oxygen. And then as soon as they get oxygen, they're allowed to run free. And that's where we get problems as soon as we've opened the pit. So the silage just allows for that rapid drop in pH to control fermentation and leave us a bit more of a stable forage. Um, Especially if we've got kind of really dry forage and we don't have the same moisture in there to kind of work with the sugars to get our lactic acid production that's where additives can really be beneficial um but an additive is only ever going to be as good as the forage you've put in the pit so it's always going to be important to get your kind of your cutting time right your wilting time right you know if if it's really hot and sunny don't leave it to wilt for three days you know wilt it rapidly and try and lock as much in as possible 
um as the same with like any kind of if you're kind of conditioning or rowing up you know thinking about your kind of leaf shatter as well and then getting it pitted consolidated in the clamp making sure you've got as much air and getting it covered as soon as possible as well um is always going to be your first port of call with your additive as an insurance policy after it's the same as soon as you open the pit your clamp management your face management keeping it clean reducing that surface area it's it's all important um yeah i think main message with an additive is it can really be beneficial um but it's only as good as the silage you're putting in to start with as well a lot of um, additives have performance benefits in their trials so they you know although you maybe don't see it they're they're it's they're, they help by what Lorna was saying, um, you know, having a quicker fermentation, you m- maintain more of the nutrients in the silage, so then potentially a, per- a performance benefit. But as Lorna said, it's only as good as everything else. You know, if you've got holes um, elsewhere in the barrel, it's uh, it's it's only going to be good if your management is good. So putting an additive in is a complete waste of time if you have other aspects of your silage management that are not first class. When we, we value, quite or in the last wee while, we've valued quite a few pits for ingoings for farm purchases and new tenancies. And those people who've bought the farm or taken on a tenancy and bought a silage pit, all of a sudden know the value of silage. and know the cost of, you know, we know the cost of making it, but the actual value of the product. Once you've gone through that process, your pit management suddenly becomes so much better because that maybe half a ton a week or whatever goes in the midden, isn't you know isn't okay we need to be as tight as we can with it and make the make the most best possible use of it because it does cost us a fortune every year to make yeah i think paying particular attention as well to the the shoulders and the top of the pit because the biggest uh, cause of abortion in suckler cows is a bacteria called bacillus lichenoformis and you get that from slimy and moldy silage so um you know you're not only having an effect on having to discard poor forage you might actually have problems within your herd as well so, Karen, what is the your ideal forage for feeding spring calving dry cows? So we wean them, they're fit, we're happy with body condition. What do you want to be putting down these cows' throats for the winter? Oh, I'm going to give you a politician's answer and say it depends because uh, I think it depends on your farm and your circumstances as well. But if you, I mean, your ideal suckler cow silage and your, your system of feeding as well because um if you haven't got the ability to restrict silage then your ideal silage would be um a silage that has enough energy when it's fed ad lib not to put too much weight on cows and not to lose weight on cows so probably um something like a 9 me silage quite a poor silage nine to nine and a half me to be fed ad lib to dry suckler cows is probably sufficient but if you um have the ability to restrict silage and cows can adapt very well to that so if you have a a 10 or an 11 me silage then you can restrict feeding that or add straw in to dilute it but again it's another cost into the system some people won't have straw especially in the west so um if silage is the only feed available then i think a a poorer quality silage um in terms of energy not in terms of how it's made <laughs> so you you know you don't want poor in terms of moldy uh, you want it to be poor in terms of energy so that would be my ideal if you were just having to feed ad lib and and with that on a dry matter context do we want that type of stuff to be uh, uh, certainly for bales is that do we want it as dry as we can get it 
not necessarily I think because then that does affect intakes as well so I think um, you know and the fermentation so kind of 30 to 35 percent dry matter for bales I, I'm saying as well also a bit lower energy but if you've got thinner cows or heifers then you'll need to get higher energy for them um, so it, it it's a tricky question Robert <laughs> because it's not an ideal mm-hmm. one for all situations but it, it depends on what other forages you have available and how your system is set up on how you can restrict feeding or not restrict feeding I think that's the main answer yeah mm-hmm. so for the supper cow even really fit cows we're not just looking to put fibre down their neck you know we're wanting quality stuff is there any examples of of that you know where, where do we make where do we see those bad silages those things that maybe that they're well got but not good quality yeah yeah so either it's come from silage it's come from really poor swords um in the first place or silage that's been lying out maybe they've you know tried to make hay out of it and left it too long or the weather's caught them out um when fermentations are not as good um i have um, seen a lot of people who have made silage from EFA land, so land that's had not allowed to have been cut um, until the 15th of July. And some of those swords, because they've not had nitrogen and, and um, they're quite mature and maybe some poorer grasses, uh, can be salvaged as a silage crop, but it can be often very poor. So a lot of rations with that poor silage in it, um, cows will lose weight. It's just not good enough. And it's it's almost in some cases like glorified straw, um, very stemmy and not enough um, uh, sugars there for a, for a fermentation at all. So it's you know you've got to be very careful um, if you are cutting um, a silage that's been on EFA land um, for suckler cows. It might seem like a good idea for um, a cheap uh, feed for them, but you know please make sure and get it analysed and make sure that you are supplementing it accordingly to meet the cow's requirements. Um, we are seeing less of the late cut silage option for fallow ground for ecological focus area and I think it's as much because we're learning a lot more about green covers and putting you know the importance of soil health and things but those guys I mean I remember seeing one late cut silage and the way it analyzed was pretty much like hedge clippings you know it was just rubbish and the field the frustrating thing for that one was from a subsidy perspective, the farmer had to do it, but the field had achieved nothing for the vast majority of that year. The productive bit of that year it had produced not very many really poor quality bales. So it's almost the thing, fallow, late cut silage. It, obviously, it fits some farms and it fits some people, but where it was the go-to option for, for most EFA guys in Ayrshire, we're, we're now trying to get people onto things that will be more more positive for the farm so green covers for barley and um, even a uh, catch crops under sown barley that that type of thing where we're getting more more bang for our buck with it whereas the late cut silage option really was the was the worst of both worlds it wasn't really yeah. achieving a great deal but certainly it's an option but it's one to to handle with care i think and and maybe it's a thing to be fair if we do make some really high quality silage maybe that's the thing to to balance it with and and put some some fiber and some some uh, lower quality into ration for cows but certainly use with caution i think yeah i think i think it's just about balancing if you have to use it and you have got it just balancing it mm. yeah mm-hmm. and then to both what about so the 
there's the maintenance of the cow from maybe November through to February. So assuming we've got a kind of mid-March calving, we've got we've to maintain that cow from through the back end through the winter. Does the same low energy, low protein silage does that suffice when it comes to calving time, or do, should we be stepping things up? You know, what what is the difference in management when it comes to managing that calving cow rather than that dry cow? If it's very poor, then no, it will not meet the requirements coming up to calving. Um, but you've also got to remember you've got a you know be a nine week calving period or more in a lot of cases. So um, you're having to deal with a lot of cows in different stages of pregnancy. So it probably will end up that some cows will be slightly short of energy coming up to calving. Um, if it's a nine me silage, you more than likely would have to supplement nearer calving. Um, if you're about nine and a half to ten, likely not. But it also depends on the protein levels as well. It's lower the protein, you know, the, the poorer your sort of colostrum production is going to be as well. So anything below ten protein, I think you probably want to be supplementing with a little bit extra. I don't know what you think, Lorna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I would agree. I would agree completely with that. I think you can take them right up to cabin on a fairly kind of average forage but you've kind of got to make sure that that protein is met to make sure you're getting good colostrum production um another good thing to do is even you know look at blood testing before and look at metabolics and that can kind of give you an indication with your sucklers are are they setting good for protein levels are they setting low gives you a good indication on energy as well um kind of roughly about four weeks pre pre pre-calving but again you're looking at a nine-week window some some cows are really far off and you don't want those cows getting over fat by up in the up in the ration too much so it's it's balance really i think as well like it's a case of monitoring cows throughout the winter as well because there's so many people get rations done at the start of the winter and actually it's not sufficient for what they need or the silage doesn't feed out as well as expected so just monitoring like every month just having a look at them having somebody else have a look at them and um, making sure they're condition wise they're on the right track because um, I think just you can get so sidetracked with other things that you go out one day and think sugar they're not where we're really expecting them to be and that somebody else doesn't need to be a professional it doesn't need to be a vet or a nutritionist or any it just needs to be somebody else who's not seeing those cows every you see it when you go if you're lucky to go on holiday which we've we're busy with a, a one-year-old and a baby coming so holidays are a dream rather than a reality but when you go on holiday you then you when you come back you see changes you see something is different at home whereas the person who's at home feeding beasts and things doesn't see that change at all so anybody different a friend a neighbor whoever casting an eye over cows as long as they know what they're talking about is you know is a worthwhile exercise is just having a having a nosy on a Sunday afternoon and, and getting some constructive comments really on, on those cows. Obviously closer to Cavan, as you say, Lorna, that metabolic profile story, I think it's so so powerful. I think it's asking the cows the question, how has the ration gone for the winter? Where are they at? Uh, it doesn't calve them for you. It's not, it doesn't solve all of life's problems, but it's a really, a really good tool. It was actually something I hoped would be in the new PSF animal health stuff and hopefully down the line it maybe it maybe will be because it's a really it's another really good tool in the toolkit for for making sure things are our cows are in, in the best place possible pre-calving um so what about now then we've talked about silage and and the winter and setting ourselves up for the winter but obviously we're now 
late spring, are we early summer? Probably are. Um, is there things we need to watch out for? You know, obviously, uh, cows at grass were at that, that point where life is it's quite nice going round cows in the sun and their uh, coats are coming out and they're, you know, really thriving. But what's nutrition-wise, is there anything we need to be really cautious of at the moment or, or conscious of? I mean, this is generally the kind of good time of year. Um, we've got quite a lot of grass in front of us at the moment. Um, as long as we don't get too prolonged a hot season, as as much as I like the sun, a bit of rain goes a long way as well. Um, so just making sure we definitely do have sufficient dry matter in front of them to sustain requirements. Of course, we're looking at you know spring calving cows are in lactation. They've still got quite high. They've got very high needs. They're suckling calves at the moment. Um, and that calf's main source of nutrition at the moment is from its mother as well. So they'll be starting to take a wee bit of grass. So we need to make sure we've got sufficient sufficient feed in front of them and it's of a good quality. Um, Mineral-wise, the grass should be fairly okay at the moment. Um, we're over kind of the biggest risk periods, but just always keeping an eye out, making sure we're covered. Magnesium-wise is always a good thing. Um, and... Yeah, um, if we're thinking about sheep at the moment, again, they're in lactation. Just making sure they've got a really good bite in front of them is the main thing, I would say, at the moment. It's it's that good time of year for farmers and nutritionists where everything's looking nice and we've not got we've not got as high input as we would do when we come into like later summer and we start getting um, grass quality dropping off and we really need to start thinking about have we got enough to keep them, keep them going to sustaining needs. For earlier lamb and sheep flocks, if we are starting to get tight, um, we can wean from about kind of 10 weeks onwards, ideally, and that frees up grass for lambs and um, we can put um, ewes on poorer grazing as well. So that frees up a lot of dry matter as well. So it's kind of always something to consider if things are starting to get a wee bit tight, especially if we get a lot of sun and not as much rain. But Pray for a wee bit of rain soon. Yeah, and it's that stage weaning for sheep. You know, you, you're using lambs go from being the highest highest priority group on the farm to the ewes going to the lowest priority mm-hmm. for for quite. And it's amazing what ewes can run on dry ewes. Uh, they can run on very very little, um, yeah. and and actually gain condition on on or pretty midland forage down the line as well. So, uh, no, that's been great, Lorna. Thank you very much. Uh, Karen, have you anything to add for wee things to um, think about at the moment? I suppose, yeah, you talked about ewes and things as well. I think there was a lot of complaints sort of at lambing time this year that ewes were a bit thinner and people were sort of blaming that on the drought last summer that maybe ewes had got a lot taken out of them and then hadn't put condition back on. I don't know if that's um, a sort of general thought from you as well, but it's just to, yeah, although, it's, although it is a time where the ewes can go into drier forages, just to take care not to take them back too far if, if we do get a really dry summer. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think it's worth... It's worth when you're weaning use is, you know, running a hand over them, looking at body condition scoring and, you know, um, grouping those use accordingly to make sure that we, we are maintaining body condition because we've got a really good opportunity for grouping use and kind of regaining body condition before we go into topping time again near the back end. And the longer we can do that, the more we can control things. And it's just kind of keeping it as balanced as possible. So. Awesome. Thank you both very much. That's been a really, really interesting. Uh, and I'm sure we've only scratched the surface of, of what we could talk about, certainly in 
the quality silage conversation we could talk from now till next silage season and still not have it all sussed but uh, we've certainly there's a lot of good points in there and certainly uh, I'm sure if anybody had any questions or um, issues they want to discuss you guys are, are fully available and, and there to help so yeah, delighted um, to chat yeah thank you very much to you both yeah thanks Robert <laughs> no worries thanks if you enjoyed listening to Stock Talk you may enjoy some of our other podcasts such as Crofting Matters which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in Scotland including livestock management you may also enjoy our new podcast Agriculture which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.